So Jesus, help us to know uh, what that means. You are the God who speaks. So open your word to us and speak. We ask this in your name. Amen. Good to have all of you here. Thank you for joining us. Also, those of you at the 11 o'clock service and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and those of you online, thank you all for being here. Uh, As most of you know, I am fascinated with U.S. presidents. I've read tons of history about presidents, know lots of things about lots of different presidents, but sometimes it leaks into other parts of my life, I think. So, for instance, a few weeks ago, I was running late to a meeting, so I texted the guy I was meeting and said, running late, be there in a few minutes, sorry about that, and then I sent the text. And then I noticed it didn't say sorry about that, it said sorry about Taft. (laughs) Well, aren't we all? Like, imagine how odd it was for that guy to get that text. Like, what is, this, what is this strange cryptic message from my pastor? What does it mean? Do you ever feel like that's how God talks to you in these strange cryptic messages that you can't figure out or decipher? When you hear someone say, oh, I heard from God, or God said this or that to me, do you think that never happens to me? I don't ever hear anything from God, ever. Or maybe right now, for reasons in your life, God just feels completely silent. He's not talking. Or you look at the world and, you know, mass shootings and political turmoil, and you just think, man, where's God in that? And if he's in it, what is he saying? Well, in the the story we just read, God speaks very dramatically, right? King of Babylon is having this big old party, and suddenly this hand appears out of nowhere and writes on the wall. Now, that can really kill a party, right? Like, it's all fun and games till the hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. It's just creepy. It's perfect for Halloween, but it's just kind of creepy, right? And the writing announces that the Babylonians were about to be conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Now, you might say, well, okay, look, if a hand showed up out of nowhere, I would for sure hear God, and I would do whatever the hand told me to do. No, you wouldn't. You would scream and cry like a baby and then run away. That's what you would do, right? Plus, in spite of this miracle... The king does not acknowledge God, nor does he change his ways, even though there was this miracle, because miracles don't convince us nearly as much as we think they would. But what's interesting about this passage is that God was speaking in lots of ways, actually, before the hand ever showed up. It's just that nobody was listening. Today, the expression, the writing is on the wall, means, you know, it's certain what's going to happen, usually a bad thing. You know, it's the last two minutes of the game, you're down by three touchdowns, the writing's on the wall, you're going to lose, right? But in this story, God was speaking long before this hand showed up. In other words, the writing was on the wall before the writing was ever on the wall. And this is really important because we need to hear from God, and we follow the God who speaks, We need to hear from God so he can guide us and how we can live as people of courage that bring hope to people in these turbulent times that we're living in. We need to hear God's word in times of decision. We need to hear God speaking to us in times of pain when when we need his word of strength and his word of comfort. And in this story, God is actually speaking in lots of different ways. And your homework this week is going to be to hear God speak to you at least once through the various things I'm going to mention in this sermon. Okay, so there's your homework already up front. Listen, be on the lookout for God speaking because he's going to speak. He's always talking. The question is, are we paying attention? You know, because there are some things that can drown out God's voice. There are things that can really drown out God's voice. So, for instance, discouragement can drown out God's voice. The story begins with God's seeming silence. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. So right there, we're being told a whole bunch of stuff. So because if you've been coming this fall, as we've done this sermon series on Daniel, you will know that the king that Daniel has dealt with up until this point is who? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Very good. You knew that. 
a few of you. That's great. So what happened to him? Well, he died. And now this is 25 years later, and Belshazzar is king. And it says in the text that Nebuchadnezzar was his father. That's just a way of saying his predecessor. And incidentally, just as an aside, this passage is actually, has been, was for years used by critics of the Bible to say that the Bible is not historically accurate or reliable. So for years, critics would point out, look, the last king of Babylon was not Belshazzar, it was Nabonidus. So folks would say, see, the Bible is not historically accurate. Well, then archaeologists dug up a tablet that showed that Nabonidus moved in the desert for 10 years and left his son, Belshazzar, in charge. So they had to take it all back. Turned out the Bible was more historically accurate than historians were. And under Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel had a ton of influence. He was basically prime minister. But now the new king hasn't even heard of Daniel. So obviously Daniel has lost his influence. He's lost his job. He's lost his power. Let me ask you this question. If you were to lose your job and your wealth and your influence and your status, and that went on for 25 years, might it seem to you that God was silent? I know it would to me. Not to Daniel it didn't, but I know it would to me. And probably to the whole, all the Jews in Babylon. Because remember, as we've been saying, decades before this, the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem and taken the Jews into exile in Babylon. And they have now been there 69 years at this point. An entire generation has come and gone. And to all appearances, they're still stuck in exile. And to all appearances, it looked like God was silent. Evil was on the march. Good was winning. And a lot of people gave up on God because of discouragement. It can drown out God's voice. Second thing that drowns out God's voice is the party of this world. At this party, the king orders that the goblets they stole from the temple in Jerusalem be brought into this party, right? So these are sacred objects. This is blasphemy, right? And then it says the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. So here's what you need to know. Drinking parties back then were always just for the guys. So why are the women there? Because this is just a little bit more than a banquet. This is an orgy that's going on here. And at this point, it could be argued that God was actually trying to get the king's attention through his circumstances because the Persian army was just a few miles away ready to attack. That should have been a wake-up call to the king, right? That should have gotten his attention, but he wasn't paying attention. He knew the miracles God had done in Nebuchadnezzar's day, but he did not turn to God. Instead, he just parties. And it says they praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Same exact gods we have today. Silver and gold, what's that? Wealth, success, either in school or, in, or in, in, in your job. Bronze and iron, what's that? Well, that's what they used to make weapons with. So in other words, power, the ability to force people to do what you want, either through coercion or emotional manipulation or whatever it is. The party is an orgy, so sex here is going on here, right? Same things, same gods we worship today, same things we chase after today. See, sometimes God is speaking. He was trying to speak to the king but we are consumed with the party of this world. Success in school or career, money, sex, being popular, not, some of those things are good. It's just that if we're too involved, they can drown out what God is saying. Is the party of this world drowning out your ability to hear from God? And then the third thing that drowns out God's voice is self-sufficiency. Belshazzar feels invincible here. That's why he's not worried about the Persian army. He feels invincible. 
Babylon's walls were 87 feet wide. No war machine of that day could ever break through those walls. Plus, the Euphrates River ran right through the middle of the city, and the wall was built over it in such a way that armies couldn't get through. And the wall surrounded farmland where they could grow their own crops. So in other words, they had food and water for years. They were not afraid of a siege. See, often when things are going well, we don't think we need God. So we don't even try to hear from him. We just handle things ourselves, self-sufficiently. And this is a word for y'all, Bell Press. I love you. I know you. I love you. We are a self-sufficient bunch. We don't like to need anyone or anything. We don't like to ask for help, sometimes even from God. And I put myself in there. Sometimes when I'm faced with a decision or a problem, sometimes I forget to pray about it. And I'm a pastor, so you almost be a wreck, right? Like sometimes I'll just forget to pray about it. I'll just make the decision that makes the most sense to me. But what if God had a better way? What if God had a different way? Pride and self-sufficiency can keep us from hearing God because we don't even turn to him. A while back, a reporter was interviewing Don King, the boxing promoter, and King said, I never cease to amaze my own self. And I say that humbly. <laughs> okay, like how would that have sounded if he said it proudly, right? But that's sometimes me, that's sometimes us. I've got this, I can handle it, I amaze me. But that can lead to disaster, as it did for Belshazzar. Because see, the Persians did this super cool thing. It'd make a great movie. The Persians did this super cool thing. They dug a channel upstream and diverted the Euphrates River and then walked on the dried riverbed under the Babylonian wall and killed the king. That's so awesome. Right? Like that would make such a cool movie, like 300. Someone should do it. And then the last thing that can keep us from hearing from God is we don't want to hear what he has to say. We just don't want to hear what he has to say. Now, to Belshazzar's credit, he wants to know what the message says. He didn't get focused on the whole hand thing, right? He didn't, he didn't think, wow, I've had too much to drink, right? And that's good because sometimes when God speaks, we get more focused on the method than the message. But, but Belshazzar wanted to know. But his wise men, his astrologers, they could not interpret the writing. So the queen comes along and says, you know, don't be alarmed. I love that. I know, a hand just appeared out of nowhere. Don't be alarmed, right? There's this guy named Daniel. He can figure this out. So they brought in Daniel, and Daniel interprets the message for the king and says, what that means, king, is you're about to lose your kingdom to the Persians and to the Medes. But the king doesn't acknowledge God. He doesn't change his ways. He doesn't want to hear what Daniel had to say. He just doesn't want to hear it. Sometimes God is speaking, we just don't like what he's saying, and so we blot it out. We think things like, I don't really want to know what God thinks about my money. I'm sure he wants to give some away, but I can handle that better myself. Or my anger problem, or my addiction, or whatever it is. Is God speaking, but you just don't like what you're hearing? I heard a guy, I'll call him Tom, talk about how he was dating this woman and then she became a Christian and got really, you know, really close to Jesus and all of that, which made him mad because he was an atheist. And whenever she tried to talk to him about it, it would just make him madder, right? So one night he found a Bible somewhere, started reading it, but he didn't understand it. He got confused and he got frustrated, yelled at the God he didn't believe in and said, okay, if you're so real, show me, send someone to me to explain this whole Christian thing to me. Well, the next day he was on a commuter train because he had a meeting in another city, got in a conversation with the guy in the opposite seat. And eventually Tom asked this guy, where are you headed? And the guy said, I don't know. And Tom said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And the guy said, well, this is going to sound weird, but I'm a pastor. And I got up this morning and just felt like God was speaking to me and said, get on that train because there's someone there I want you to meet and explain the Christian faith to. 
Tom was so freaked out, he stood up, walked away, and got off at the next stop. Didn't even want to be on that train. Never told the guy, it's me, right? He didn't like what he heard. It freaked him out, right? But after a couple of days, it sort of start to, started to sink in, and, and Tom actually eventually became a Christian. Meanwhile, that poor pastor is still on that train <laughs> looking for the guy he's supposed to meet, right? Tom didn't want to hear what God was saying at first. So those are some things that block us, drown out God's voice. So then what are the ways that God speaks? What are the ways God speaks? Well, there's a couple I've talked a lot about in the past, so I'm not going to go into them now because I've done a lot of sermons on them, but I want to mention them. God speaks through Scripture. God speaks through people. Daniel here has to interpret the message to the king. We need pastors. We need mentors. We need friends. We need community. God speaks directly to us in a lot of ways. Those thoughts that aren't our thoughts, a sudden memory, an image, something, a line from a song. God speaks through just directly to us. And then there are three other ways God speaks in this passage, additional to those. First, God sometimes internally convicts us. And what I, mean is, what I mean by that is this. When we're headed in the wrong direction, God will often move in our hearts, in our minds. He'll give us a sense of conviction, an inner conviction that we are headed down the wrong path. When Daniel's brought in to interpret the writing, he recounts how Belshazzar's predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, became arrogant, but then God humbled him by making him temporarily lose his sanity and eat grass like a cow until, as the text says, he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms. And we looked at that story last week. But then Daniel goes on, he says, but you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. In other words, you were there, you saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but you have not humbled yourself. That's a word of conviction, but you, that's a word of conviction. And then he interprets what the words mean. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's a message of confrontation and conviction. When we are doing things that are destructive to ourselves or to other people or are just less than God's best, just not building us up, God will convict us. And conviction, you got to get this straight. Conviction is different than shame or guilt. Right? Conviction, conviction says I've done wrong. Shame says I am wrong. I suck. I'm a loser. That's not God's voice. Conviction says how did I become the kind of person who's okay with doing this or thinking this or saying that? And sometimes God convicts us directly through thoughts or just in our hearts, sometimes through other people, what they say to us, sometimes through our circumstances, but always out of love to turn us around when we're headed in the wrong direction. One of the most significant times this ever happened to me, this sense of conviction, and I, I told you about it a long time ago. I want to tell it again. It was when I was a college pastor. And one day, uh, I, I, and I, I was working all the time as a call. I didn't take any days off, never took a day off. I worked every single day, long hours, just trying to do a good job. Well, one day, these two young guys, they were on my staff. They were interns on my staff. They said, we want to buy you lunch. And they were just out of college, 22 years old. When they were in college, I was their Bible study leader. I was their mentor. Now I was their boss, right? And I thought, oh, how nice. They want to take me to lunch. That's sweet, right? Well, when we got there, the first thing they said is, you're bumming us out. You work all the time. You never take any time off. You never take any days off. You're neglecting your family. And then I started making excuses. Well, the job, it's a lot of work. It's just so hard. And then one of them like slammed his fist down on the table and he said, no, we see you trying to be an excellent pastor. 
but we need you to be an excellent husband and father and Christian because that's what we want to be. We want to be excellent men. We want to be excellent husbands and fathers and Christians. And you're supposed to show us how, and you're not doing it. Ooh. That took guts, right? I mean, I was their mentor. I was their Bible study leader. I was their boss. I could fire them. Thought crossed my mind. (laughs) But mostly I felt loved. And I heard God say, You're breaking the fourth commandment, Sabbath, one of my top ten. Listen to them. They speak for me. I was convicted. And I got better at it. Not perfect, but I got better. Sometimes we need a hard word, and our gracious God gives it to us. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. And he wants us to thrive. The question is, are we humble enough to hear it? Is there a hard word that you need to hear, or that someone's been speaking into your life, that you need to listen to is maybe the voice of God. So here's a prayer. Jesus, convict me of what I need to be convicted of. God speaks through conviction. But not just that. God also speaks through grace. There are three times in the Bible that God writes with his finger. There are three times in the Bible that God writes with his finger. The first time is the Ten Commandments, when he wrote them on the tablets of stone with his finger. The second time is this story where God writes on the wall with his finger. And then there was one other time God wrote with his finger. It was when he had come himself in the person of Jesus, and they brought a woman taken in the act of adultery to him and said, should we kill her or not? That's what the law says. And then the text says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And then he said, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And they all went away. And then Jesus said to that woman, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. And nobody knows what he wrote on the ground, but whatever it was, it said love. The first time God wrote with his finger in the Bible, he wrote the law. The second time he wrote conviction, but the third time he wrote grace. And grace was his final word. Is there a message of grace that you need to hear, a word of grace that you need to hear? For some of you, that's going to be your homework. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to someone who's confessing some sin, addiction, or or out-of-control temper, whatever it is, I'll say to them, if Jesus were here, because he is, what do you think he would say to you? And usually, almost always, they say some version of, they'll say, well, I think Jesus would tell me to get my act together, and why do I keep screwing up, and I'm disappointed in you? And I say, eh, try again. Until I hear them say something like, Jesus would say he loves me, and he likes me, and he has a better way. Would I like to try it? For some of you this week, your homework is to listen for that word of grace that you need to hear. Maybe it'll be a line in a song, something someone says, something from Scripture. God speaks through grace. And this brings me to the last way God speaks. God speaks through you. Not just to you, but through you to other people. Just as he spoke through Daniel to the king in this story. Your your life may be the only writing on the wall that other people are going to see. And I'm not sure we Christians are doing a great job of being God's message to people lately, right? I mean, people think that what's going on in this story is that Daniel crashes the party and yells and judges everyone and says, you know, cut it out, stop it, God's mad, now you're going to get it. That's not what happens here in this story. We are not called to be morality police throwing truth bombs at people. Okay, that's not what's going on in this story. First of all, Daniel was invited to give input. Let's just start there. He was invited to give input. Second, he's in relationship with these people. The king doesn't know him, but the queen does because he's been a faithful friend for over 60 years. 
Third, he examines his own life more than others. We know from the next chapter that Daniel prayed at least three times a day, submitting his life to the Father because he was more concerned about whether or not he was walking in God's ways than other people. See, the way we are God's word to people isn't throwing truth bombs. We do it the way Jesus did. Jesus, who is the word made flesh. Jesus is everything the Father wants to say. And Jesus went to parties and didn't condemn people there, but instead he loved them and showed them grace and showed them a better way to live by living it himself in such a compelling way that other people were drawn in. We may be the only writing on the wall that some people see, so the question is, is your life legible? Are you legible? Can people see God in you? In this story, the writing on the wall announces that a new kingdom is coming, Babylon out, Persia in. I think Jesus asks us the same thing. Can people see, can the world see that my kingdom is coming through you? My making new of all things, my revival of marriages and families and people out of poverty and cities and businesses. Can people see that in you? Because you're the writing on the wall announcing it through a changed life. At work where you treat people with grace and dignity or in school where you befriend the people who are lonely. Or, or, or because of the ways you help other people, you may be the only writing on the wall that some people see. So the question is, are you legible? So those are some of the ways that God speaks. And if you want, you can take a picture of that with your cell phone to refer back to it if you want to, because, because this is your homework for this week. Which one of those could you put into practice this week? Maybe it's to humbly listen to a word of confrontation or a word of grace, or maybe it's to read the Bible or listen to what other people are saying. Whatever it is, I want you this week to expect that God's going to talk because he is. And ask him to help you recognize it when he does. And be on the lookout because our God is the God who speaks. And he is always speaking. And then one last thing. Just one last thing. One final PS. God is always speaking. And even when it seems like he is silent, often it's because he's doing something bigger than we can, than, that we can't yet see. So for instance, in this story, the Jews have been in exile for 69 years, and now Babylon has fallen to a foreign army, right? And it seems like their nightmares happen in all over again. Just when they'd built houses, they'd married, they'd gotten used to life in Babylon. Now a new power conquers them. What fresh terrors is that gonna bring? But what they didn't know, when God seemed silent, and not helping them. What they didn't know was at this moment, God is actually setting them free. Because a year after the Persians conquered Babylon, they allowed the Jews to go home to Jerusalem and even helped rebuild the city. When God seems silent, often it's because he's doing something that we cannot yet see. As y'all know, three very important mentors in my life died over the last three years. This summer, my best friend who was on staff here, Chris Martinson, he moved to Florida. These four men were one of the primary ways I heard God speaking in my life. My lifelong mentor, he was always the go-to call. When I couldn't figure out where God was in my life, he always could speak God's word into my life. Chris and I met every week for 14 years. Chris is my pastor. He would speak God's word into my life. And we still talk every week, but it's kind of not the same, you know, as being here. Now, I, could still, I can still hear God's voice through scripture, thoughts that aren't my thoughts, other people, other mentors. But without those four men in my life, it just felt sometimes like the volume on God's voice had been turned down a little. But then this thing happened. This thing happened. The same day that Chris and his family flew out to go live in Florida, that same day, a close friend from California, former student of mine, we did college ministry together, he flew in for a final interview at North Shore Community Church in Kirkland. 
And he just moved here and he's now their new senior pastor. And he has also often been God's voice in my life. In fact, he was the one who pounded his fist on the table and said, we need you to be an excellent husband, father, and man. He was the one that he's now living in Kirkland. Years after he did that, years after he did that, when I was trying to figure out whether to come here or not, he said to me, Scott, you have made an idol of the church in California. You need to go to Bellevue and discover that God is there as well. That guy, he flew in for his final interview only hours after my best friend flew out. Now that could be a coincidence, but really, like, don't you think you'd be kind of working pretty hard to say that's a coincidence? Like, really, I mean, he and his wife weren't even wanting to move here, right? Because nobody in sunny California goes, I know, let's move to Seattle in October. <laughs> like, nobody does that, except me. I did that, and now him. So that coincidence feels like God speaking through my circumstances, through other people, namely my friend, even through a word of conviction and rebuke because I was starting to feel kind of sorry for myself. And this was kind of confrontation and conviction, but also a word of grace. When I put it together that my friend flew in when the same day Chris flew out, I just, in that moment, I heard God say, I see you, Scott, and I know what you need, and I am here. And what seemed like God not talking as loudly as he used to really was just he was doing something bigger that I just couldn't yet see. And who knows what can happen now that my friend is here leading a church on the east side where churches already work so well together. And now there's one more pastor in that mix. Who knows what God might want to do with that? I don't know. I just know I need to pay attention because God is speaking. Because he is always speaking to you and to me. And if he seems silent, take heart. Because maybe it's not silence. Maybe it's just a pause, a preparation for the bigger thing he's doing that you can't yet see. God is speaking. So this week, listen to hear his voice. Jesus, thank you that you are the God who talks. You are the word made flesh. Jesus, thank you that you are everything the Father wants to say. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us in this room, every single person in this room, would have at least one moment this week where they realize, oh my goodness, that was God and he just talked to me. And God, help us to recognize it when it happens. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.